one minute. I'm going to tell you this story real quick. Anytime I talk to ladies and we talk about different things with our children, one thing I challenge you, how many of you have children? I think almost all of us have children. Um, I started uh, April, I believe it's April 4th, 2008. I wrote that date down in my prayer book, and that's when I began praying for my children's spouses. And my son is 17, my daughter's 16, and it's so funny when you pray for them, you don't see anybody, like, because no one's good enough for either of my children, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, so, but I, I challenge you to pray for your, pray for your child's spouses. And I mean, I get to the nitty gritty. I pray for the parents. It's kind of bizarre because you don't know who you're praying for. But I pray because I think if if their parents are struggling and end up in a divorce, and my future daughter-in-law is bounced around different, just the, all the impact all that stuff can have on children. I pray for um, any big decisions mom and dad are making. And maybe it's going to take my, maybe it's going to take my future daughter-in-law or son-in-law out of God's will. Do you know what I'm saying? Be very specific and pray for your child's spouses. This, this, this thing called marriage only gets harder and harder each generation because of what each generation is up against. And marriage was hard 50 years ago. Marriage was hard 60 years ago. And each each generation, it's hard. It's just a different kind of hard. And I believe our kids, those of us, you know, 40s. <laughs> but seriously, our kids, you think we're up against stuff? You wait a, what, to see what our kids are up against. When my husband and I were dating, we didn't have the cell phones and that aspect. Our kids' generation has, they have that so young now, you know? So beg God for your, I'm telling when you pray for your kids, Thank God for their spouses and wherever he or she is, and um, just that God would help them. And I can't wait to see what my children's spouses will tell me what happened in 2008 in their family. And on that, I'm going to tell you this: I was many of you know I was adopted at 12, 12 years of age in 1990. I think it's 93. I was adopted 92 or 93. But that is also the same year that my husband. He was in ninth grade. I was in seventh grade. That is also the same year that my husband started to pray for his spouse. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know. I wish he would have wrote the date down. But I would love to know, mm-hmm. is it the exact day, January something, that maybe I was adopted mm-hmm. or taken out of that situation? And it, it propelled me and prompted me to pray for my kids' spouses specifically and to mark the date down. Because one day I do, and and that really we put that all together one time when when we got married, and he goes, wait, when were you adopted? Oh my word, I was at he was at some kind of school, some camp, and they said about praying for your spouse, and he decided to pray for his spouse, mm-hmm. and I was in seventh grade being adopted. Mm-hmm. So it's huge. You don't know what you're saving them from. Mm-hmm. Seriously, you don't know what you're saving your kids' spouses from. So without any further ado. <laughs> We're going to talk about in this session, I want to just open my heart and share with you some practical things that has helped me take our marriage to another level. Things that I wish I'd known when I first got married, but I'm glad I found out when I did. So, um, because definitely there's things, no matter how good your marriage is, we can take it to another level. So that's what I want to do in this. We'll open a word of prayer and then we'll get into your notes. It's I hope you all found it. It's the oneness. There's a oneness for the men's session, and then there's a oneness for the ladies' session. See it? Okay. Let's open in a word of prayer. 
Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for this time we can have together. And Father, we truly need you. We need your spirit. And Lord, please help our hearts to be tender and open to what you have for us to learn. So we truly can be the women that you want us to be, not just for our husbands, but for our family and the future generations. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Eric has been talking, it is, it is totally amazing and incredible how different we think. And as he was talking, I was thinking, you know, that just doesn't start when we're adults. This different, the way, difference in the way we think, that starts when we're children. I mean, you know, when the, we're little, little kids, I get tickled. I have four girls. And when they were little, all their cousins were boys. All Eric's sisters had boys at that time. So when we were back from Africa and we were home on furlough and everyone would get together, we encouraged the, our girls, play with your boy cousins and, you know, get to know them and, you know, all that. I still remember once when it was a family reunion, all the cousins were together, and I walked in and the girls were playing army men with the boy cousins. And I was like, yay, girls, you're getting this. Good for you. You're playing army men. And they had the men, they had like two long rows of these soldiers lined up. And I said, girls, what are you playing? And she said, oh, we're playing wedding. <laughs> These are the bridesmaids and this rose of the groomsmen. I went, oh no. <laughs> you can't get away from it. They're just they're just different. But like Eric said, different is okay. And we want it that way because those little boys are growing up to be the men that are going to be the leaders, the you know, the providers, protectors, the decision makers, you know. And those little girls are growing up to be the women, the helpmeets, the ones that bring a gentleness, a sensitivity to relationships. And we all vary in degree of, you know, some girls are a little more girly. Some guys, you know, are a little bit more tough. Everyone varies, but that's okay. But the point is God did make us different and that helps balance us out. And really it's a beautiful thing when it works together. Um, and he has talked about, so I don't want to rehash a lot of what he said, but our main goal as women, you know, for, if you take all the verses in the Bible, about marriage. The husband's supposed to love. And when I grew up, I just knew the wife was supposed to obey, obey and submit. So I'm just thinking, okay, he says something to do. I say, yes, dear. And he says something to do. I, yes. And then that's okay. But it's so much more to it than that. The Bible doesn't say just obey. It says to respect, to honor, to reverence. And you know, when I learned that, the first thing I thought of, well, what does it mean to respect? Because I'm a very practical person. Don't just tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. If I'm supposed to respect him, what does that mean? You know, do I do I bow to him? Do I put a crown on his head? I mean, what do I do to show respect? How do I, you know, what do you, you know, what is it that you need to do? So we're going to talk about some practical things of how to show respect. Why is it is our hus are our husband some kind of you know lording this over us, a domineering person that he's demanding this of us? No, this is what how God's made him. It's a language he speaks. Just like if we learn Swahili when we were in Africa, and if I would say to you, Na sana kufika hapa, na sana, you would think, hmm, okay, it sounds like something kind. But I just, that doesn't do anything for me. That just doesn't mean anything to me. But if I would say to you in English, I am so glad to be here. You all mean so much to me. 
I like you. I'm glad we're friends. You're like, okay, now I get it. Now I feel it. And it's the same way in our marriages. When we are trying to love our husbands, trying to respond to them in the way we, our language, they're not getting it. And we think we're showing them love because we do love them. But could it be that even though we do love them, they don't feel loved because we're not respecting them? Respect is their language. So as wives, we've got to learn this language. And it has to be a learned language. Just like I had to go to language school to learn Swahili. As wives, we have to go to language school to learn respect. See, I didn't know that before. I didn't, I didn't get that. And it, it's amazing to me that we learn so much in school. We learn in college. We learn all this other important stuff. But we don't have a lot on how to be a wife and a mother. And that's, that's almost all we do. That's a, the, the most biggest, that's the biggest thing, part of our life. You know, we get a new phone and we're learning all about it. We get a new computer and we're learning all about it. We get a new appliance for our kitchen and we're learning all about it. But when it comes to marriage, we just kind of walk in and kind of somehow muddle our way through it, don't we? So how can we learn this language of respect? You know, when, when we were first introduced to this concept, I asked my husband once, I said, I was scared to ask him, but I said, do you know that I love you? He said, yes. I said, do you feel that? I respect you. And he got quiet and he said, sometimes. And I thought, I I just, I didn't realize it. I said, so sometimes do you not feel love? Do you not feel my love? And he said, yeah. And I felt horrible because I thought we had this really good marriage and we did have a good marriage. But there were times that I was doing things that hurt him. And I didn't know because I wasn't speaking his language. So, how can we learn to speak our husband's language? How can we not only love him, but help him to feel loved? It was so interesting. As I was studying for this lesson, I saw an article by Fox News stating that fewer men want to marry now than ever before because they say that women are taking over man's role and don't show them respect anymore. The article said that men are not interested in committing to long-term relationships with a woman who doesn't respect them. Isn't that something? They didn't say love. They said respect. And I just got goosebumps when I, when I read that. I thought, the world is just finding out what God has said all along, that men need respect. That's their language that they need to hear in order to feel loved. So if you look in your notes, we're going to look at five areas And there's probably more, but we're going to look at five areas in which our husband needs us to show him respect. First of all, show respect for your husband in his work, his work. Genesis 2.15, man was designed to work. Work is his purpose. Work is his everything. His world revolves around his work. He's identified with his job. That's why his work is so important to him. Um, so, So as wives... We need to place a high value on our husband's vocation, whatever it is. It could be something simple. It could be something that doesn't seem to be important, but we need to make it a big deal. You need to learn about what he does. 
You need to ask questions about what he does. You need to, instead of just saying, he does something with computers. I don't know. Well, what exactly does he do? Does he do? Who does he work with? I don't know. His name's Bill. I don't know. Find out who he works with. Learn about that. Why? Because that's important to him. That's a way we show him respect. When you take an interest in his work and say, hey, honey, now that project you were working on, and you ask him specific questions, say, I want to know about it. You do? You're speaking my language now. He's getting it. Learn about his work. Um, you know, even if your husband does something that wouldn't be important to others, even if your husband's retired and just makes birdhouses, make big of it. Whatever he does, let him know it's important to you. It's been said that in a marriage relationship, men do what they do for the admiration of one woman. If all the world is against him, but he believes you are for him and have confidence in him, he can go on. Wow. That's a lot of power in our hands that we have to help him. You know, when your husband, when it, his world, his work, whatever it is, when he does something good, encourage him. You be his cheerleader. You be the one telling him, you're the best at this. You're the best making birdhouses or you're the best and whatever it is that you do, you're the best. And then the flip side of that, if he gets discouraged, if he loses his job, sympathize with him. You know, if your husband would lose your job, he loses his job, we might think it'd be encouraging to say, oh, honey, don't worry about it. You can get another job. But if that is his career, it would be kind of like if you were having a problem with one of your children and your husband said, don't worry about it, you got other kids. <laughs> what? This is big. Well, that's how it is with our husband. So let's just not blow it off. Make his work, his world important to you. And then number two, we also speak that language of respect, not only through his work, but also respect his role as protector and provider. Once again, this is ingrained as a child for guys to be the protectors and the providers. When our youngest daughter was just probably three or four years old, we went over to a friend's house and she had a son about the same age. And so they were, you know, my daughter's Julian, he was Josh, and Julie and Josh were just playing, you know, with their little toys about three or four and everything, and the mother and I were in the kitchen with the other wife, and we were talking and, and everything, and so they were playing, and all of a sudden, we heard this, and she said, what's that? And so we go into the other room, and she's like, Josh, what are you doing? And he crossed his arms, stuck out his chest, and he said, I just saved Julia. And he said, she said, what do you mean? He said, I killed a spider. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's see this spider. You know, of course, it's, you know, a tiny little thing. And she's like, well, that's, that's great, Josh. Thank you. You know, and he was just real proud about it. We walked back in the kitchen. She said, that's unbelievable. And I said, what? She said, Josh is scared of spiders. He is just like a little timid. It freaks him out. Every time there's just a little bug, he's usually yelling for mama. What made the difference? And I said, a little blonde curly-haired girl made the difference. <laughs> a girl walked into the room, and all of a sudden, Josh turns from this little timid, scared guy, and now all of a sudden, he's this strong killer. He can kill these spiders. And I thought, isn't that how it is, how it can change things? One of my favorite favorite illustrations of this in the Bible is in Genesis 29. You'll probably remember this story. 
But Jacob was traveling and had stopped at a well to get it, to get some water. And it was a large well, and they had, it was covered with a huge stone. The Bible says that um, during the middle of the day, all the shepherds would come at one time, and they'd have to all move this stone so they could get water for their sheep. Well, Jacob was just sitting there at the well, probably waiting for the other shepherds to get there to help him move this stone, because it's impossible to move it by yourself. And while he was waiting there, he looks up, and here comes a beautiful shepherdess with her sheep. And as she gets closer, you think, wow, she's, oh, she's a nice looking girl. And uh, she, he gets kind of interested in her. And the Bible says that when Je- Rachel came up to get water for her sheep, that Jacob single-handedly lifted that stone and moved it. The Bible says when Jacob saw Rachel, all of a sudden... Wow, that adrenaline kicked in, and he moved that stone, and and she was probably going, ah, my hero, and it went on from that, and they end up getting married, and to me, that's just a perfect illustration about how God has ingrained into men to be the protectors and the providers. They love that, so we need to respect our husbands in that way. Let your husband be seen as your protector and provider. Now, maybe you're stronger than him in some areas. Maybe you're better at him in some areas, but don't hold that over him and make him feel like the wimp of the family. Let him be the strong one and show your appreciation for what he does for you. It could be something as simple as opening a jar of pickles, but let him know you appreciate it, that you brag on him for what he does. Brag on him, say things like, I appreciate how you take care of our family. Thank you for how you look look out for us. And you know, it's also good to brag on him in front of others. Brag on him in front of your children. You know, kids, we wouldn't have this if your daddy didn't work so hard. Hey, kids, we need to thank daddy. He had to get up extra early this morning. Or do you know what he has to do so that we can have what we have? That, when we do that, wow. That means so much to our husbands because it shows we appreciate his effort to take care of our family. And you know, on the flip side, you know one way we can really hurt him is by doing the opposite. Have you ever heard someone say in front of their husbands, well, we really need this, or my kids really need this, or we don't have what we need because my husband's job is just not enough for us. Well, that could be true. But that hurts him. And I said, we don't mean it that way. We're not meaning to hurt him when we say that. We're maybe asking someone to pray for us. You know, my husband needs another job. But we have to be careful the way we say that and make him feel like he is not adequately providing for us. You know, saying, saying that, that what he does isn't adequate, that would be like our husband saying, you know, I need to get a nanny for my children because my wife just can't cut it when it comes to being a mother. <laughs> I mean, we would think, what? Are you kidding? Are you serious? I'm, I'm doing all I can. That's how he feels when we say what you do is not enough. He feels inadequate. Once again, we're thinking that doesn't make sense, but it's a different language. And maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> we're thinking of things we shouldn't have said, but Showing respect, showing respect in his work, showing respect for the way he provides and cares for us and letting him know that we appreciate it. And then number three, 
Respect his authority, his authority in the, in the home. We do this by trusting our husbands in their God-given role as the head of the home and by deferring to his judgment and allowing God to handle the outcome. That's how we show respect for his authority. You know, when we don't allow our husband to lead, when our husband feels that he should do something and we, we are just butting up against him, we just, uh-uh, we're not going to, we just don't want him to do it. We're just constantly just up against him. Basically, we give him two hard choices. Either he can cow down to us and be a henpecked husband and just kind of let us have our way, or he can be a bullheaded, dominant dictator and say, lady, this is what we're going to do. Neither one's a good choice. I mean, we don't want either one. But that is the position that we put our husbands in when we are going up against him and defying him. And let's remember, our husbands didn't ask for this role. You know, this is what God has assigned them to do. And with it comes heavy responsibility. You know, sometimes we might like, you know, I thought, oh, if I could have written the Bible, I'm going to change this up a little bit here. I Sometimes I could have a little bit more control in this. But do we really want the responsibility that comes with it? He's responsible before God for our family. So our role is different, yet equally important and valuable. Our part is to trust God to guide our husband's decisions. And this is one reason it's so important to pray for our husbands. You know, like Mrs. Shutt was talking about prayer, and that is so true. That's why every day we need to be praying for our husbands for wisdom because they are making these decisions and that affect us and our children and our, and our family's future. And ladies, when we refuse to obey our husbands and refuse to submit to what they want to do, what we're saying is God's plan isn't trustworthy. God, your plan's not going to work. I'm going to have to step in here. And we've seen that in Scripture, how many times women have tried to step in and fix things. Sarah trying to fix the problem with Abraham. Rebecca trying to fix the problem with Isaac. And how that has caused generations of problems because we just refuse to do it God's way. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, so I'm supposed to let my husband make the decisions and I'm supposed to defer to his judgment. What if he doesn't make the decisions? What if he is passive and he just, he just doesn't like, he's just not a strong leader, what I do? You might have the attitude, if I don't do it, nothing gets done. If I don't do it, it's not, you know, it's nothing's going to happen. What do you do? Okay, well, in that case, first of all, ask yourself if you've taken the reins from him. Sometimes we don't mean to, but little by little, we start taking that authority from him. And finally, he just says, okay, you got it. How do we do that? Well, it's not like we're always saying, okay, buddy, no, I'm making this decision. You sit down. No, we don't do things like that. Sometimes it's in subtle little things. Do you um, tend to always have a better idea on anything he says? That's something I have to watch. You know, he says, hey, I was thinking, let's do that. Oh, yeah, we could, but it would be better if we, or I was thinking about going here. Yeah, but, you know, it would be better if, okay, always having a better idea. Do you tend to undermine his decisions? Is your first response to his decision negative? Yeah, I don't know. And you know, it could be, you know, a lot of our personality types, we are thinkers or we we do as women, sometimes we're more engaged in a situation, so we're already thinking ahead. But if we're constantly belittling 
his decisions, belittling his criticizing, then what happens is we're either criticizing him when he does make a decision or we're criticizing him for not making a decision. And once again, he's like, uh, what do I do here? <laughs> okay. I, I can't win either way. So by constantly giving our opinion, we're actually weakening his, weakening his self-confidence and even weakening his desire to lead because we are constantly giving our opinion. Okay. What's the next question? Well, then can I never give my opinion? Can I never have a say about anything? Do I just have to say, okay, sounds great. And it isn't going to work, but go ahead. I can't say anything about it. Okay. How do we handle that? No, we can, we can give our opinion. We that's, that's fine, but we just need to be careful that we are not constantly opposing what he says, constantly correcting him. You know what, ladies, <coughs> don't correct him unless you really have to. Have you heard conversations with a man and woman going back and forth and the man's telling a story and he says, oh yeah, he said, yeah, about 15 years ago. And the wife says 17. Oh uh, yes, uh, 17 years ago, we were over at my sister's house. No, it was your brother's house. Oh, okay. My, my brother's house. And while we were there, we had the greatest time. It was on a Saturday. No, it was on a Friday. You know what I mean? <laughs> Have you ever been a, seen, you know, heard conversations like that? And the wife's just constantly, and you're thinking, does it really matter if it was Friday or Saturday? But sometimes as, as women, we do that. We're just constantly just nipping at all these little things. Lay off. Don't give your opinion unless you have to. Don't constantly be correcting him unless you really have to. But what if it's something that you really feel you need to say something? I love the example of Queen Esther. When she had to appeal to her authority, her husband, the king, he was about to make a very bad decision, about to have the, her whole race, you know, uh, terminated. So she came to him. But notice what she did. First of all, she prayed about it. She gave herself time to think. All right. And then she planned out how she was going to say it. And then she talked to him at a good time. All right. She didn't come to him when he had just had a rough day and uh, things were going bad and she just added one more thing on top of to, on top of it. She waited for the right timing. And then she came to him in a humble way. She said, if it please the king, I have a request. So I've studied Esther and I thought, wow, that's what we need as women. If there's, if your husband's <coughs> about to make a wrong choice, and I'm not saying he's choosing McDonald's over Burger King, okay? Whereas let's say that he's about to make a decision that you really think isn't right. What do you do? First of all, go to the Lord because God leads through the leaders. God leads through the leaders. We're not the leader. So it could be that God's given your husband a perspective on something that you don't have. It could be that your husband might know something about that situation that you don't realize. So you might not need to say anything at all. And I've done that before. I've said something, and then later I thought, oh, I wish I kept my mouth shut. I didn't realize how it really was. So pray about it. Ask God for wisdom. Do I even need to say anything? Sometimes it's sweet to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your husband and let God work in that. That is really sweet because then your husband can come around to the right decision and you had nothing to do with it. And that's so much better. So pray, do I really need to say anything? Wait for the right timing. If you still feel like 
I feel like I need to say something. I feel like maybe he doesn't have all the information or I feel like there's something that I could add to this to help his perspective. Did wait, wait for the right time and then come in the right spirit. All right? Come with the spirit of humility and then come to him and say, you know, honey, you know, you're trying to make a decision about this. Do you mind if I just share something that's been on my heart? And then tell him your perspective. But then end with saying, but whatever you decide, I'm behind you. I will not, uh, I will not go against you. I will not fight you in this because I know, once again, what Eric was saying, I know you have the best intention for our family. And I know you're going to see God's face on this and you're going to do what's best for our family. You know what that's doing? That's putting the pressure back on him. That is telling him, buddy, you better get it right because I'm not going to be, I'm not the one making the decision. You're making the decision. The responsibility's on you. We're not saying that. Well, we're letting him know it's between you and God. And then that's the way to handle it. Okay, but then what if he makes a mistake? What if after all that you prayed, you've, you've, um, you've gone to your authority and approached them in the right way and you said it the right way? But he still makes the wrong decision. What then? Has that happened sometimes? It does. But guess what? Even when he makes mistakes, God will bless us for doing what's right. You see, if there's already going to be one mistake, if we respond wrong to him, now you got two mistakes. The best thing to do is submit and do our part that's right, and usually it will come out fine. And if not, God will work through that. Because you know what? Did you know people can learn through their mistakes? They can. And even as a good-willed, good husband, with every intention of doing what's best for your family, he's going to make mistakes, but he's going to learn through them. And see, that's going to help him next time. And then the next time something comes up, he is maybe going to be a little bit more in tune with what, what God wants and in tune to maybe what do you say. So let him learn through his mistakes. Now, when he does make a mistake, be careful, because you know what we're going to want to do right then? I told you so. That's the very thing I said, and that's what happened. Don't do that, because mm, then that starts the crazy cycle. And then all that good that you built up just nullified it. So when he makes a mistake, let him know, honey, hey, it's all right. It's going to, we'll get through this. It's okay. I'm behind you. It's all right. I'm for you. Build him up as a leader. Even when he makes a mistake, build him up. Why? Because that's going to make him a stronger leader next time, a better, a wiser, more caring leader next time. Sometimes ladies think, if I'm constantly deferring to my husband, and if I'm always letting him take the lead, isn't he going to get bossy? Isn't he going to get to be where he's just constantly bossing us around? But actually, the truth is, if he is secure in his role as a leader and he doesn't feel threatened by us, he doesn't need to be dominating and controlling. And what I have found is that he tends to ask for my advice more often if he doesn't feel threatened by me. If he knows I'm behind you, that I am behind you, and I tell him, I'm behind you, I'm behind what you say, and I follow your leadership, then he feels more comfortable asking my opinion. You know, he might say, 
What are your thoughts on this? Especially if I've kept quiet and I've just tried to keep a sweet spirit. Not quiet with our arms crossed saying, I'm going to watch you blow this. Not that kind of quiet. And we can do that, but it's not that. It's that sweet spirit of, hey, I'm going to let you pray this out and figure this out. He feels more comfortable coming and saying, what's your, what, what's your opinion on this? Because he doesn't have to be afraid that I'm going to say, I'm so glad you asked. Okay, now sit down. I've got this all planned out. No, no, we're not going to do that because he knows I'm just going to come in a humble, meek spirit, share my opinion. But once again, it's up to him. That is what builds him as a leader. And we're doing it for our good, too, because that makes him a better leader for us and for our family. So instead of manipulating and controlling Let's take our concerns to the Lord and then support our husband in his leadership. All right, let's go on to number four. So we respect him through his work as our protector, our provider. We respect him in his role as authority. And then next, respect his need for companionship. Do you know that our husbands just need us also not to be just their lovers and their wives, but their buddies? They're friends. As women, we connect by communicating, don't we? I mean, that's obvious. I mean, you know, chitter, chatter, chitter. I mean, you can hear the chitter, chatter. We, we connect by communicating. We love that. Men connect by time shared. You know, when they're with their buddies, they can sit, sit and watch a football game for two hours and walk away and feel like they really connected, and they didn't even say anything to each other. You know that amazing? I mean, my husband, it was so funny. He was, we were in Africa, and the Super Bowl was on, and so someone had, you know, had recorded it and sent it to us or something, but all these missionary men would get together to watch the Super Bowl. So after it was done, um, he was with some new missionaries we had never met. So when he got back, I mean, they'd spent all these hours together. And I said, well, what's the guy's names? Well, he did know the other guy's name, so that was good. Um, but I said, um, I guess they're all married. And he said, yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. And do they have children? Um, I, 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 I don't know. I could see he was starting to look like, ugh. <laughs> and he said, I, I think they mentioned kids. I said, oh, okay. So I'm wanting to find out about these people, you know, find out. But here they'd spent all these hours together, and he knew virtually nothing about them. And he did know what kind of car they drove. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But he didn't know anything about the family. Why? It didn't matter. They had spent time together, and he felt bonded with these guys. And they hadn't said hardly a dozen words, but that's how they like. They like to just be together. Okay, so that clues us in on another way we can learn to speak their language is spending time with them, companionship. Um, They need to know that we not only love them, but we like to just hang out with them, to be their friend. So now you've got to look for ways to be his companion. And this doesn't mean you take him shopping with you, okay? That's probably not going to be a bonding time for him. So look for ways that mean a lot to him. It might be go to a ball game together. It might be um, watch a game together, if he likes that. It might be um, handing him tools while he works on his on the vehicle, you know? Um, for my husband, he likes... He likes to watch World War II documentaries. (laughs) Thank you, sister. (laughs) So the way I show love and respect is I watch the video without asking questions like, 
are those the good guys or bad guys? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you can't you tell by their helmets? No, they all look the same. <laughs> you know. So my way I show him companionship is I sit there and keep my mouth shut and act really interested in this. <laughs> Another thing is my husband loves to shoot guns. And so I have learned to shoot guns. And sometimes I'll say, let's go to the gun range and let's shoot. Okay, that means tons to him. That, I mean, right then I could ask for the moon and he would give it to me. And so we do, you know. So I learned to shoot his 9-millimeter revolver. I've learned to shoot his 357 automatic. I've learned to shoot even his um, AR-15. We, we do that together. And it's not like that would be my very tip-top favorite thing to do. Like if I had time off, it's not like I'd say, let's go to the shooting range. But you know why I love it? Because I'm with him. And because he loves it. And because I can see the light in his eyes when we do this. And, and he'll say, oh, isn't this cool? Now look at this. And, and you know, I mean, I just, it's not really my thing. But don't tell him. Because he thinks I really love it. And I do when I'm with him. But that's a way we can connect. And that's a way he feels, wow. And you know, like I said, it just, it turns on the love. Because when I've spent time doing that with him, he feels very loving and tender towards me. That is just amazing how God made that to be. So find ways that you can just be with your husband. And sometimes you might get bored just sitting there watching that documentary. <laughs> but you know what? Think of the times when they sit and listen to us talk. They're probably inside going, <laughs> get me out of here. But when they take that time to let us talk, you know how much that means when your husband sits down and says, you know, how's it going? And he just lets you share maybe something that's been bothering you. And he lets you talk it out. Oh, man. That means a lot. And so that's how, that's because that's speaking our language. So that's a way we can speak his language is find something to do to let him know, I love you. And I also just love to be with you. And I love you so much that I'm going to enter your world. It can be scary leaving the pink world and going to the blue world. <laughs> but I love you that much to get out of my comfort zone. Sometimes ladies will look at me and they'll say, you shoot guns? Yeah, I do. I've got my concealed carry because my husband and I were gun partners because I love him that much to leave my comfort zone. And then number five, another huge need for our husbands, a way we show him respect, is his need for intimacy. His need for intimacy or intimate love. And of course, 1 Corinthians 7 says a lot about this. God created us, ladies, to be a need filler. We are the completer to our husbands. That's why our role is so valuable. That's why we also have to be so flexible because our husband's needs are different. So we've got to fill in those needs wherever it may be. You know, as women, we are the glue that holds things together, aren't we? We're the glue that holds the families together. That's how valuable we are as a wife. We see needs that our husbands may not see. He's given us a unique perception. Now, we cannot get mad at our husbands when they don't see needs that we see because God didn't make them to see those needs. We can't get mad when they're not speaking our language because they speak another language. They're trying to learn our language just like we're trying to learn their language, but we can't get mad at them when they're not acting female. 
Okay? So we have to respect their unique needs. Um, I think that's one reason that it's difficult for us is because we expect them to be so much like us. Now, this area of intimate love, the physical um, aspect of marriage, I think one reason that this is difficult for us is because we view it as something to enjoy occasionally. But it's not like we're going to lose our minds if we don't have it all the time. Okay? But for our husbands, especially a married man, it's not just a desire. It's a need. It's an actual need he has. Now, let me divert for a little bit and just ask you a question. How many of you ate breakfast? You had muffins? You ate some breakfast this morning? Something? You put something in your mouth this morning? Okay. How many of you plan to eat lunch? Lunch? Okay. Supper? Are you serious? So you eat three three times a day? So you mean after you eat today, are you going to eat tomorrow? You gluttons. Is all you think about is food? You had your fill today and then you're going to eat again tomorrow? Do you have nothing else on your mind but food? Do you get what I'm getting at? <laughs> okay, it's the same way with our husbands in the physical realm of marriage. In intimacy, sometimes we think, is that all you're thinking about? You know? But it's it's like, I have to um, relate it to food. But that's how it is with us. We are, we're happy today. We ate. We're fine. But you know, in a few hours, we're going to be hungry again. And tomorrow, we're going to be hungry again. And it's not just a desire. It's a need we have. Now, let me ask you. If you get hungry again tomorrow... Let's say you went all today without eating, and you're hungry tomorrow. Would it be wrong of me to say to you, I can't believe you're hungry. I think you have a spiritual problem if you're hungry. How can you be hungry? Would that be, would that be right? Would it be right of me to think that, that you need to get your act together? That, you know, because why are you eating all the time? Why? Okay, no, because you were made to eat. You have to have it. Now, that's not a perfect illustration because a husband's not going to die without it and we would die without food. But do you see what I'm saying? The same way, when you are hungry, I don't know if everyone has gone on a diet or you've gone on a fast before. When you're hungry, what do you think about? Food, food, food. If you're going down the highway and there's a billboard with a picture of a hamburger on it, what are you thinking? Is that what you're thinking? That's exactly right. See, that's how God made our husbands. If they don't get intimacy when they need it, guess what's on their minds? And we criticize them for that. And we say, what's wrong with you? And they're, and they're, they're thinking, this is not just a desire. This is a need God gave me. And then when they see a billboard, when they see a magazine, with a picture on it. Our husbands, we hope, as God-fearing men, would turn and not look. But if they're hungry, if we've let them go without, you know what's on their minds? You know how weak they are in that area? You see, when we meet our husband's physical need, that helps to safeguard our marriage. Now, I know that a husband can purposely decide to um, be unfaithful to his wife. And he can fall into sin. I realize that even in a good marriage. But if we are doing our part 
for our husband, it's less likely to happen. And you know, a way we show respect for our husband is letting him know that that's important to us. Instead of making him feel degraded and ashamed where he has to beg us for something, instead, if we let him know, I'm here for you anytime because I love you, Now that means a lot. That means a lot. That's a way we can show respect for him. You know, it's interesting that scientists even say that when husbands are fulfilled physically, it also helps to balance them emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Isn't that something? Have you noticed that it does help them emotionally? helps kind of level them out. That's interesting. And it also, scientists say, it's scientifically proven, we benefit too. It helps to balance our hormones. And we all know how we act when our hormones are out of whack. So it's a good thing for all of us. Without physical love, our husbands feel disrespected. And they tend to act unloving and irritable. And just like I was saying, okay, compare this to how you would feel If you had something heavy on your heart, let's say that there was a problem in the family or something and your heart was heavy and you told your husband, we've got to sit down and talk about this. Something's going on. We've got to sit down and talk. And what if he said, okay, I will. I'm busy right now. I I, I will. I will. And then the next day you say, honey, we've got to talk about this. This is, this is situation's getting worse. I've got it. I've got to connect with you. And you say, all right. I will, but you know, if he's, if he's telling you, you're really irritating me, you're just, oh, I will. And then he keeps pushing you aside. How are you going to feel? Do you feel like he loves you? No, you're going to think, how could you not realize how important this is to me? Do you know how that would, that's how our husbands feel when we're always pushing him aside. I'm busy. I don't feel well. I'm tired. It's been a long day. And we're pushing him aside. And then we say we love them. And we're thinking as women, Of course I loved you. I cleaned the house. Remember that magic coffee table? (laughs) I did all these things. But yet he's saying, forget it. I don't care if the sink's full of dishes and and we don't have any clothes to wear. I need you. I need you. And when we make that a priority and we let him know that's important to us. In fact, it's so important. I'm going to make time for it. I'm going to make sure that the kids are in bed. I'm going to make sure I'm refreshed or I'm going to make sure that I'm the, oh, now that's speaking his language. That's when he feels loved. Okay. And also another quick little note here, going back to our food illustration and then we'll move on. A cheap hamburger is one thing, but after a while, if all you ate were cheap hamburgers, you get tired of them. Every once in a while, it's nice to have a nice full course meal, right? Got what I'm saying? Okay, I don't have to explain. Every once in a while, give your husband a nice meal. It's not just a cheap hamburger. Don't expect him to live on Happy Meals. So when we make his needs our priorities, even when our needs are the same, even when to us it's like this doesn't even make sense, but yet we take the time in any of these areas to make his needs our priority, that's when we show our husband's respect. 
that's when they feel loved. And that's when they tend to act more loving towards us. So, in conclusion, I know that this whole concept of respect and the way we communicate and react to our husbands might be a little new to you. It was new to me a few years ago. But little by little, God can transform our thinking. And He can reprogram our minds so we know how to react and how to speak their language. And it does help our marriages so much. But yet, you know what, ladies? This is diametrically opposite of what the world says. I mean, totally different. So be careful because what the world is pouring into your brain is going to be opposite of what the Bible says. You know why this is? It's because the devil is deceiving us and we're believing him. The devil is targeting us and we're letting him do it. And this started with the very first woman and it's continued all the way down to this present age. We keep disregarding the biblical principles because we think this doesn't make sense or that I've got a better way. It'll work better my way. And by doing that, we fall for Satan's trap. Our marriages suffer, our homes break apart, our children walk away from our faith, and the devil sits back and laughs. And it's because we have done it our way instead of God's way. I want to challenge you as ladies, as women of God, to stand up and say, enough. This is enough. The cycle stops with me. No matter what your past was and how your parents did it or your grandparents or other people around you saying, no, my home is going to change and it's going to change with me. I'm going to start doing it different. The right generation is going to start with me. And you know what? Your daughters are watching how you respect their daddy. And that's probably how they're going to treat their husband. When you roll your eyes at his decision or when you say, okay, that's what daddy wants to do. You know, it does, sometimes it doesn't take a word. It just takes the, our body language. And that lets our kids know, everyone knows that we're showing disrespect. And you know, they're not going to respect daddy. And they're not going to respect their authority. And we're going to say, ah, what went wrong? I took him to church. What happened? And it could be because of us. So showing respect to your husband is, I think, the best thing you can do for your marriage. It's a secret ingredient that the world doesn't understand. But it's a gift that only you can give him. No one else can give him. It's a gift only you can give him. So my challenge for you today is, will you, are you willing to learn his language? Are you willing to start respecting your husband in a way that he will feel loved? All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for how you made us. It's it's different. Sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes we can't understand our spouse. Sometimes we don't even understand ourselves. And Lord, that's why we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your help. We ask, Father, that you would help us to be women that love and respect our husbands, that show them in a way that they understand that we do love them. And Lord, may our, our marriages grow. May we have a closer bond between us and may it affect the generations to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.